0: all right well good evening coastline family for the few that came in in person i know that there's usually a crowd watching online so welcome here tonight as we do our latest signs of the times discussion Um, if you're just joining us for the first time we dedicate the last thursday of the month to a time of uh, talking about bible prophecy specifically from god's word Um, We have been uh, going through the book of Daniel, uh, doing a survey, if you will, going through the uh, prophetic uh, or the prophecies, specifically the ones that haven't happened yet, or just basically focusing on those. And then uh, every other um, uh, gathering or every other signs of the times discussion, we go through the word for one of them, and then we kind of have a discussion on current events as they kind of relate to that. So. Um, But one of the things I felt led to do tonight that we haven't done um, in some time is kind of just like a a current events night where I'm definitely going to start with God's word because we want to start with God's word always when we're we're looking at the world and what's going on it we look through the lens of God's word it's kind of a bad habit to look at what's going on and try to fit that into God's word because you'll you can have a tendency to make the mistake of reading into what God's word says or making it say what you want to say so. We're going to start with God's word and then kind of look at some of the specific things that in the section we're going to be in tonight that Jesus said would happen at a greater frequency the closer we got to his return. Um, the specific current events that we see going on that are interesting. Um, you know, we don't know for sure how things are going to we, we know final outcomes. We, we don't know for sure all the details, but we see these things happening that are interesting that kind of appear to be setting the stage for some of these things that jesus said we we would see happen so um with that let me pray one more time and then we will get into god's word dear heavenly father lord god thank you so much for your word um we thank you lord that not only does it have the words to receive eternal life or it tells us how to be saved from our sin and, and know you personally as our god as our father in heaven uh, through faith in your son jesus but it has the words uh to give us like life, to lead us into true life, uh, where we'll find joy and peace and satisfaction, all these things we try to find in the world, but the world leaves us empty, and we found these things in you. And something else your word does is it accurately predicts the future. It has and it will in the prophecies that have yet been fulfilled. That's one of the reasons we know this is truly your words, God, because only you could do that, only you know the future. And you've told us enough about what's going to happen so that we can have peace uh, amidst the chaos that we see going on around us that seems to be increasing every day. Um, When we see that, we know that things are going to uh, plan, according to your plan, that they're not falling apart, that they're falling into place. And we know that you have given us assurances that, we're going to be all right and things are going to be working out for our betterment um for our good even the things that seem bad you're big enough to work them for our good so we have these assurances to find hope in even amidst the the difficult things going on around us so we thank you for that and we want to know your word for that reason among many others so that we see things and we're not surprised and we're not fearful but um we are able to endure and persevere uh, in faith, um, knowing that knowing what your word has told us is going to happen. So, as we go through your word tonight, as we go through these current events, um, I pray that that is what it would produce in us—a uh, sense of expectancy of your return, and um, a sense of urgency, and in, in, in just following you and drawing near to you and doing the things you have for each of us. Um, knowing that at any moment you could come back to get us or we could go to be with you. So we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So tonight we're going to look at part of one of the um, better known teachings by Jesus, often called the Olivet Discourse, because Matthew 24, which is a, a parallel teaching of this same account or the same teaching that we're going to be looking at in Luke 21. In Matthew 24, it says that Jesus taught this at the Mount of Olives. So we're going to be in Luke 21. And starting in verse 5, it says, And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, or Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another, that will not be thrown down. Jesus telling them that basically the temple in Jerusalem, this glorious structure they had to worship God at was going to be destroyed. And this, in fact, came true 40 years after Jesus predicted it when it was destroyed along with the majority of Jerusalem by the Romans in AD 70 in response to an attempted Jewish rebellion. And I can personally verify the temple is not standing there because I've been there on the Temple Mount during one of our trips to Israel. And you can actually see a bunch of the stones that actually were pushed off that and had fallen over and the destruction of that temple. So it happened just as Jesus said. And then in verse 7 it says, And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? So this prediction would have been shocking to the Israelites who you know, believe they were God's people. Um, You know, this temple was a place they'd come to meet with God. His presence was supposed to be there. So to think that God would allow it to be destroyed was just craziness to them. And and they're wondering, you know, when's this going to happen? And he says in verse eight, and he said, see that you are not led astray for many will come in my name saying, I am he or I am Jesus or I'm the Messiah. I'm the savior. And the time is at hand. So there's two things that they'd be guilty of saying. I am he and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults or the idea is insurrections, do not be terrified for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. So here Jesus makes it clear that he's talking about two events in this passage. Number one, the coming destruction of the temple But he's also talking about the end, as he calls it in verse nine, or what we know from the rest of God's word to be the end of the age that we're currently living in, in the beginning of the new one that's marked by Jesus's second coming, where he comes to establish his kingdom here on this earth. That's the end he's talking about. So his his reply basically has both those events in mind, and he warns those he's speaking to and us of two things that many that many would come number one claiming to be jesus or saying i am he claiming to be the messiah would be better because jesus was a messiah but the jews didn't believe that but they'd come on in in in, in the name of the messiah and claim to be the savior of the world now this happened through uh, for the jewish people throughout their jewish history by many people that came and they in a sense they didn't believe in Jesus as a Messiah. So these people would claim that they were the Messiah. They were the Savior. And they would you know, try to stir the people up to um, achieve some sort of political or military victory for the people that were oppressing Israel. Like promising that, well, I'm going to restore Israel to its greatness. And ultimately, they all failed, usually leading people into harm's way or their destruction. Now, we've also seen many cult leaders over the years come claiming to be Jesus only to lead people astray and often harming them as well. So that's the first thing that he's saying. Some people would come claiming to be him. And then the second thing is he said people would come saying the time is at hand. Or basically what he's saying there is that they will come and they will say that I know when the end is. Or I know when that end, Jesus, when he's coming back. And we've also seen a lot of people make false predictions throughout history about Jesus' return. Despite the fact that if you know God's word, you know that that Jesus said in Matthew twenty four thirty six, but concerning that day and hour, this would be the end when he's coming back, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. All right? So no one knows that exact time. Only the father, only God the father. And Jesus says, regarding anyone claiming those two things, don't go after them. Don't listen to, don't follow them or their teachings as they're most certainly not representing him. And if you give in or you believe and you follow them, you're basically allowing them to lead you astray. And then he goes on in verse 10, and this is kind of the section we're gonna start focusing on for tonight. It says, then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilences or sicknesses. And there will be tears and great signs from heaven. So Jesus goes on here to talk about some specific things that would happen between his teaching when he's teaching this and the two specific events that he's talking about. Basically the destruction of the temple and the end, or his second coming, as wars, earthquakes, famines, pestilence or sickness, terrors. The idea there is kind of like horrible, catastrophic events in the world, great signs from heaven or signs in the sky. Those have all been a routine part of history. They were back then, and they are right now. And as such, he says in verse 9, don't automatically assume just because these things are happening that we've reached the end, you know, just because there's a big earthquake doesn't mean we're at the end yet. None of those things basically are specific signs of his immediate second coming. One thing that he's trying to reiterate here that he also tells us in John sixteen thirty three. 33 is that don't be surprised when there's hard things that happen here in your life on earth. You're going to experience tribulation. You're going to experience those hard things, but take heart or be, be of good cheer. Have courage because I've overcome the world, all right? So that's a theme, something he's honest with, and he's kind of continuing that here. When you see these, hor- these horrible things happen, these hard things, don't think that automatically, oh, this must be the end because this is going to happen. But he also says, in the other account of this, in Matthew 24, 8, about these things, he says, all these are but the beginning of birth pains. Or just as birth pains become more frequent and severe, the closer you get to birth, the women in here know this, they have had babies, we should expect the frequency and severity of these specific things he mentions here to increase the closer we get to the end or Jesus's return which has proven true throughout history and i personally believe that we're seeing at least some of these pick up at a pace in the last two or three years that has been unlike anything we've seen yet in history which i believe some of the statistics that i'm going to show you in some of the articles about some current events going on uh only confirm and then he goes on in verse 20 or i'm to jump ahead to verse 29 sorry and he says, and he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out and leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near, that basically Jesus' return is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away but watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap or he's kind of pointing out there's a lot of things that can distract us from what matters most in this life and that's following jesus and he's saying don't let that happen knowing that at any moment i could come back verse 35 it says for it'll come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth but stay awake at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So here, basically why I wanted to hit that last section is Jesus is telling us why it's important to understand the events surrounding his return. Nobody knows the exact day or hour of his return, but he did say that you will recognize the season based off of the things that he's told us that we know from Scripture that would happen the sooner we get to his return. And as such, we're to be watchful of those specific things that Jesus said would happen because as we see them happen, it produces a sense of readiness and urgency in our relationship with him, realizing that every day living for him could be our last opportunity to do so, our last opportunity, opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus, our last opportunity to gain crowns for eternity. Some of you guys know this. We had a dear brother go home to be with Jesus last Sunday, Greg Bonham, right? A brother who lived for the Lord every day as if it was his last and was wise to do so, as Jesus tells us here, because I can also guarantee he had no idea that last Sunday was going to be his last opportunity to do that, right? So he lived wisely. And that's what Jesus is saying. This is his exhortation, knowing he could come back at any moment. That's the way we should live. And I like his warning to us of not making the mistake of letting the day of his return come upon us like a trap. In verse thirty-four, because sometimes I, I hear people with this mentality of like, people have been saying Jesus is going to come back for years. You know what? What? What if it, he doesn't come back right away? What if it's another ten or fifteen years? Well, if you knew for a fact that somebody was going to set some sort of trap for you, they had some ill motive in tripping you up, but you didn't know exactly how or when or where that was going to happen, would it really make a difference when that time frame was in how you reacted? I mean, how you kind of prepared? I mean, you better believe that I'd be watchful and aware of my surroundings instead of taking like a, oh, I'll just wait and see approach. Is that be foolish? Because it would leave me susceptible to being caught off guard in something bad happening to me, just as it's absolutely foolish to take a wait and see approach with the Lord is Jesus knows that that leads to living a life of complacency in your relationship with him, which can lead you missing out on a whole lot of blessings that he intends for you in your life. Rather, he wants you to live like every day is your last on this earth, knowing it very well could be all right. So that's the import, one of the importances of knowing Bible prophecy, of knowing that Jesus is coming back soon. Um, and so now that we've established that, um, the importance of understanding what he says in here that's going to happen as we get closer to his return, we're, um, we're going to speak on, on some of these events, like current events as they relate to these or things that are happening in the world around us um, that appear to uh, fall into this category of these things he talks about in his word and in, 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 in increasing measure, like the whole idea of birth pains, all right? So with that, the first thing I want to talk about tonight is from verse 11 in Luke 21, where he speaks of famines being something that we would see going on. Like I said, famines have been going on all throughout history, but they would be at an increasing rate. They would be more severe the closer we got to his return. So some of you guys might have read this recently in the article. There's there's a bunch of discussions going around on, in the media about um, food shortages. All right. This article is from NPR, National Public Radio. It's from May 23rd, so just a couple days ago. And its title is, With food prices climbing, the UN is warning of crippling global shortages. I'm just going to read some parts of this says fears of a global food crisis are growing due to the shock of the war in Ukraine, climate change and rising inflation. I should say really quick, I try to get a well-rounded selection of articles, both on the liberal side and the conservative side, because I don't want to read just one view and actually reading. Both views, I think, helps us get have a well-rounded view of like kind of how the two sides see things. So I'm not necessarily endorsing everything that in these that I agree with, but this is just kind of how people are viewing these events, okay? So I think that's important to say. Um, so it goes on to say, The UN estimates that in the past year, global food prices have risen by almost one-third, fertilizer by more than a half, and oil prices by almost two-thirds. According to UN figures, the number of severely food insecure people has doubled in the past two years, from 135 million pre-pandemic to 276 million today. Now, more than half a million people are experiencing famine conditions, according to the UN, an increase of more than 500% since 2016. These are those figures I was talking about, where, man, in the last couple of years, these the, the percentage of people dealing with famine is increasing at a crazy rate. In Ethiopia, Somalia, and Kenya, the number of people facing extreme hunger has more than doubled since last year, from roughly 10 million to more than 23 million today. According to a report, across the three countries, the report notes, one person is likely dying every 48 seconds from acute hunger-related causes stemming from armed conflict, COVID-19, climate change, and inflationary pressures worsened by the war in Ukraine. In India, a devastating heat wave has upset the nation's wheat harvest, driving up prices around the world for the staple commodity. Earlier this month, as temperatures in the capital of Delhi hovered near 120 degrees Fahrenheit, the government announced a ban on wheat exports. The announcement helped push wheat prices to record levels. Wheat prices were already hit hard by the war in Ukraine. Ukraine and Russia are some of the world's biggest wheat producers, combining to produce around 25% of the global supply. Global wheat prices surged in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. They have already they had already risen an estimated 80% in just over a year before December 21st according to IMF. In Sri Lanka, Rising inflation has led to a wholesale economic emergency with extreme shortages of food, medicine, and fuel. Humanitarian agencies have warned that Afghanistan has been close to famine for months. In the U.S., consumer prices in April were up 8.3% from a year earlier, according to data from the Labor Department. Food costs were up 9.4%, with prices for things like meats, poultry, fish, and eggs up 14.3% from the previous year. Uh, In March, around 65% of the 200 food banks in the Feeding America Network, the nation's largest food recovery organization, reported a greater demand for assistance month on month. In China, prices of fresh vegetables are up 24% higher than a year ago, according to data released from the country's National Bureau of Statistics. Um, China's zero COVID policy has meant an economic slowdown added to inflation around the world and global supply chain issues. Um, just the News, this is an article from Just the News, and it's, t- it's May 24th, so again, not that long ago. Um, it's titled, The um, UN, UN expert predicts global food crisis may be 10 weeks away. The world only has 10 weeks worth of grain left. The lowest levels ever seen is Russia's invasion of Ukraine is creating a seismic threat to global food supplies. Grow Intelligence CEO Sarah Minker told the United Nations Security Council. The Russian-Ukraine war did not start the food security crisis. It simply added fuel to a fire that was long burning. A crisis redetected tremors from long before the COVID-19 pandemic exposed the fragility of our supply chains, Minker told the United Nations. Minker told the UN it is important to note that the lowest grain inventory levels the world has ever seen are now occurring while access to fertilizers is highly constrained. And drought in wheat-growing regions around the world is the most extreme it's been in over 20 years. And it can get much worse. Data shows the food security challenges we face will last several years, she said. Without substantial, immediate, and aggressive, listen to this, coordinated global actions, We've been talking about that last couple of months, globalization, right? So that's what she's saying too. Coordinated global actions, we stand the risk of an extraordinary amount of both human suffering and economic damage. This isn't silicone, it's seismic. It's a once in a generation occurrence that can dramatically reshape the geopolitical era, Minker stressed. Now, when I read that article, the first passage I thought of was Revelation 6 5 through 6, where it says, when the Lamb, this is Jesus. This is a. Uh, if you guys aren't familiar with Revelation, I've got the. We've got the whole book. We went through online. You can you can go through it. Uh, a book that talks a lot about um, the events surrounding Jesus's return. When Jesus is opening these seals that represent God's wrath and judgment that are coming down on the earth during the tribulation period, the seven year period, where God's wrath and judgment is coming on an unrepentant world after the church has been raptured. When he opens this third seal, it says, When the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, Come, and I looked up and I saw a black horse and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings saying, A loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And I thought that was interesting because... Um, that's kind of what this is alluding to, right? I, I believe that's going to happen during the tribulation. The church won't be here. And obviously we're not there yet where a loaf of bread costs a day's pay, but you can see things moving in that direction, right? Um, National Geographic had something to do with the fertilizer problem that they're having right now. Says, uh, this National Geographic says, global food crisis looms as fertilizer supplies dwindle. The says, sanctions on Russia, bad weather, and export cuts have fueled a severe fertilizer shortage that far- has farmers scrambling to keep the world fed. I'm not sure it's possible anymore to avoid a food crisis, said World Farmers Organization president Theo De Jagger. The question is how wide and deep it'll be. Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine was a body blow to an industry that has been hammered by various events for more than a year. Russia typically exports nearly 20% of the world's nitrogen fertilizers and combined with its sanctioned neighbor Belarus, 40% of the world's exported potassium, according to analysts. Most of that is now off-limits to the world's farmers thanks to Western sanctions and Russia's recent fertilizer export restrictions. Prices are are more or less 78% higher than average in 2021, And this is cracking up the production side of agriculture. In many regions, farmers simply can't afford to bring fertilizers to the farm. Or even if they could, the fertilizers are not available to them. And it's not just fertilizers, but agrochemicals and fuel as well. This is a global crisis and it requires a global response. Another mention of globalization. Says North American farmers will eventually get the fertilizer they need this season, says Frost, even if they have to pay dearly for it. But it's the agricultural powerhouses in Latin America that are the most vulnerable to fertilizer disruptions, particularly Brazil, which imports about 85% of its fertilizer, a quarter of it typically from Russia. Uh, If farmers there cut back on fertilizers and their yield falls, it could have a significant impact on global food supplies. Brazil is among the world's top three importers of soybeans, corn, and sugar, as well as beef, chicken, and pork, according to a recent USDA report. The major planting season in the southern hemisphere begins in September, and the Brazilian government is scrambling to find new fertilizer sources. So we see uh, fertilizer uh, problems uh, dwindling and and basically that causing even further problems. And then last but not least, this was mentioned in that first article too, there's severe drought that's going on all through the world. I just out of curiosity wanted to look at a map because you're hearing a lot about drought throughout the United States. Right now, so I don't know if they're going to be able to put it up on the screen, but I have a map uh, of, from May 19th, 2022, so this is not that long ago, um, that shows kind of the current drought conditions and how extreme they are throughout much of the United States. And what a lot of the country is experiencing, at least the places that are uh, some of the most viable farmland. Is this compounded drought where it's not getting better each year or being relieved? It's just getting worse and worse and worse. Um, I think you guys might have heard in the news recently that the drought's so bad in California. This is an article from this week says Governor Newsom calls for increased water conservation warning of mandatory statewide restrictions. Says Governor Gavin Newsom on Monday warned major water agencies to show better conservation results or face mandatory statewide water restrictions as California heads into its third summer of severe drought. Currently, 95% of the state is in severe drought and 59% is in an extreme drought, according to the U.S. Drought Monitor, a weekly report issued by the federal government um, in the University of Nebraska. And uh, it goes on to say, uh, although agriculture accounts for 80% of the water that people use in California, many urban systems rely on their own local reservoirs and local groundwater supplies for some or all of their water. On Monday, the 10 reservoirs operated by the Santa Clara Valley Water District, which serves 2 million people in Santa Clara County, were just twenty 23% full. So if they have to... Put mandatory statewide restrictions. That most certainly is going to affect farmers if they don't have the water they need to, to uh, water their crops. Now, I want to say nobody knows the future for sure. We, we we you know a lot of people make these predictions, but they don't know how bad things really are going to get. And that's important to remember: is a lot of predictions that have been made over the last couple of years, especially, did not come true. Remember that one two weeks, and we're just going to two weeks, and we're going to flatten the curve. That. That didn't come true, right? It was actually a lot worse. But having said that, um, you just don't know. So, you know, that's one thing to keep in mind. We really don't know the future. Only God does, it, right? Um, and the other thing I'd like to point out is whether there ends up being severe famines or not, as believers, we've been given assurances by God that we're going to be all right so that we don't have to be afraid, Okay uh matthew six twenty five through 34 was a specific passage that i was thinking of regarding this i'll read it to you just so you, you you know and if you don't know god's word you'll hear it it says in verse 25 matthew 6 that is why i tell you this is jesus talking that is why i tell you not to worry about everyday life whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store foods in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They, they don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Love that reminder, because that's one of those promises that he will give you all your needs that we can hold on to, right? That's an assurance. It's not conditional. So even if there is a severe famine, guess what? It's not too big that God in somehow is limited in keeping his promise to you. He will provide for you one way or another, or we'll be raptured and out of here. One way, either way is a good option, right? But it, it's it's that's to give us confidence and hope. So we don't, are not fearful like the rest of the world, And we react differently, and people see that, and they want to know why we have that confidence, why we have that hope, and it leads to telling them about Jesus. Amen? All right. Second thing I want to talk about, pestilences, as verse 11 talks about. Jesus talked about pestilences um, increasing like birth pains as well. And again, sickness has been here since the beginning of time. There's been some really bad sicknesses before modern medicine and stuff like that. But what I'm going to talk about are some recent sicknesses out there that are kind of in a sense, they're different than what people have seen. They're, they're almost like unexplainable in how they're spreading to doctors. They're not necessarily really severe or really prevalent. Like I want to point that out because even if, when you hear the numbers, these are, these are a very, very small part of the population of the world compared to how many people live in the world. So they're not really things to get scared about. Um, but having said that, they're they're kind of got scientists baffled, and in, in my mind they're reflective of just this increase of viruses, and scientists don't know what's going on. So this first one would be this monkeypox outbreak that's happening. Um, this is from Reuters. It says who the WHO or the World Health Organization calls emergency meeting. This is May twentieth. Is uh, monkeypox cases top hundred in Europe? And these cases have I think since the twentieth have increased even more. Not not severely more. They're still really minor, but they're increasing says the world health organization was holding an emergency meeting on friday to discuss the recent outbreak of monkeypox a viral infection more common to the west and central africa after over a hundred cases were confirmed or suspected in europe now when you look at the whole population of europe you're only talking about a 100 people again this is small all right so don't the media has a way of sensationalizing things in the headlines and stuff because why? they want to sell papers. they want you to click. so they make things sound really dramatic and stuff and you got to be careful not to buy into that, okay? when you look at the statistics, it's it's it's, a, it's a, actually a very specific group of people who it's affecting. we'll talk about it a little bit. but it says in what germany described as the largest outbreak in europe ever, cases have been reported in at least 9 countries belgium france germany italy the netherlands portugal spain sweden and the united kingdom as well as the united states canada and australia first identified in monkeys the disease typically spreads through close contract and has rarely spread outside of africa so this uh series of cases has triggered concern. so this is where it's kind of out of the ordinary However, scientists do not expect the outbreak to evolve into a pandemic like COVID-19, given the virus does not spread as easily as COVID. Monkeypox is usually a mild viral illness. It's not usually a serious illness characterized by symptoms of fever as well as a distinctive bumpy rash. This is the largest and most widespread outbreak of monkeypox ever seen in Europe, said Germany's Armed Forces Medical Service, which detected its first case in the country on Friday. Uh, Uh, Fabian Linderts from the Robert Croch Institute described the outbreak as an epidemic. However, it is very unlikely that this epidemic will last long. The cases can be well isolated via contact chasing, and there are also drugs and effective vaccines that can be used if necessary, he said. Still, the WHO, or the World Health Organization's European chief, said he was concerned that infections could accelerate ...in the region as people gather for parties and festivals over the summer months. There's no specific vaccine for monkeypox, but data shows that vaccines used to eradicate smallpox... ...are up to 85% effective against monkeypox, according to the WHO. Since 1970, monkeypox cases have been reported in 11 African countries... The first European case was confirmed on May 7th in an individual who returned to England from Nigeria. Since then, over 100 cases have been confirmed outside Africa, according to a tracker by the University of Oxford. Uh, Many of the cases are not linked to travel to this continent. As a result, the cause of this outbreak is unclear, although health authorities have said there is potentially some degree of community spread. The WHO said that early cases were uh, unusual for three reasons – All but one have no relevant travel history to areas where monkeypox is endemic. Most are being detected through uh, sexual health services and among uh, uh, homosexual men. And the wide geographic spread across Europe and beyond suggests that transmission may have been going on for some time. In Britain, where 20 cases have been seen now or been now confirmed, the UK Health Secretary Agency said the recent cases in the country were predominantly among men, who, uh, self-identified as gay or bisexual. Portugal detected nine more cases on Friday, taking its total to 23. The previous tally of 14 cases were all detected in sexual health clinics and were men aged between 20 and 40 years who self-identified as gay or bisexual. So, um, small amount of people, world population affecting a very specific group of people, um, partaking in very specific activities. And, uh, minor symptoms so again nothing nothing to like to really be scared of but it's interesting this this other article on it says uh its title is from the washington times it says african scientists baffled by monkeypox cases in europe in the u.s and uh basically says i'm stunned by this every day i wake up and there are more countries infected said a viral vi- vi- virologist who formerly headed at the Nigerian Academy of Science and who sits on several World Health Organization advisory boards. This is not the kind of spread we've seen in West Africa, so there may be something new happening in the West, he said. To date, no one has died in the outbreak. Monkeypox typically causes fever, chills, rash, lesions on the face or genitals. Um, Who estimates the disease is fatal for up to 1 in 10 people? But smallpox vaccines are protective and some antiviral drugs are being developed. British health officials are exploring whether disease is being sexually transmitted. Health officials have asked doctors and nurses to be on alert for potential cases but said the risk to the general population is low. The European Center for De- Disease Control and Prevention recommended all suspected cases be isolated and that high-risk contacts be offered smallpox vaccine. Um, Nigeria reports about 3,000 monkeypox cases a year who said outbreaks are usually in rural areas when when people have close contact with infected rats and squirrels Um, he said many cases are highly missed who's europe director dr hans kluge described the outbreak as atypical saying the appearance of the disease in so many countries across the continent suggested that transmission has been ongoing for some time he said most of the european cases are mild nigeria hasn't seen sexual transmission of this virus but he noted that viruses that hadn't initially been known to transmit via sex like ebola were later proven to do so after bigger epidemics showed different patterns of spread the same could be true of monkeypox. Um, rolf Gustafsson, an infectious disease professor told swedish broadcaster svt that it was very difficult to imagine the situation might worsen we will certainly find some further cases in sweden but i do not think there will be an epidemic in any Way. There's nothing to suggest that at present. Scientists said that while it's possible the outbreak's first patient caught the disease while in Africa, what's happening now is exceptional. We've never seen anything like what's happening in Europe, uh, said Christian Happy, director of the African Center of Excellence of uh, Infectious Diseases. We haven't seen anything to say that the transmission patterns of monkeypox have been changing in Africa. So if something different is happening in Europe, then Europe needs to investigate that. So again, it's just the Um, unusualness of the disease and the way it's spreading. Now, another uh, thing that's still got scientists baffled that's showing up, again, in a minor amount of people is uh, this weird form of hepatitis or liver illness that's showing up in kids throughout the world. This is an article from Oregon Live or the Oregonian, um, May 23rd, so not that long ago. It says, uh, it's from, it was on Oregon Live, but it's the Associated Press says health officials remain perplexed by mysterious cases of severe liver damage in hundreds of young children around the world. The The best available evidence points to a fairly common stomach bug that isn't known to cause liver problems in otherwise healthy kids. That virus was detected in the blood of stricken children, but oddly, it has not been found in their diseased livers. There's a lot of things that don't make sense, said Eric Krimer, a virus researcher at the Institute of Mo- Molecular Genetics in France. As health officials in more than a dozen countries look into the mystery, they're asking themselves questions. Has there been some surge in the stomach blood or bug called andio, uh, andiovirus, adenovirus 41, that is causing more cases of an unde- previously undetected problem? Are children more susceptible due to pandemic-related lockdowns that sheltered them from the virus kids usually experience? Is there some mutated version of the adenovirus causing this or some other non-yet-identified germ, drug, or toxin? Is it some kind of haywire immune system reaction set off by past COVID infection and a later invasion by some virus? The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and investigators around the globe are trying to sort out what's going on. The illnesses are considered rare, CDC officials last week said they are now looking into 180 possible cases across the U.S. Most of the children were hospitalized. At least 15 required liver transplants and six died. More than 20 other countries have reported hundreds more cases in total, though the largest numbers have been in the U.K. and U.S. The scope of the problem only started to become clear last month, though disease detectives say they have been working on the mystery for months. It's been maddeningly... Difficult to nail a cause down, experts say. Conventional causes of liver inflammation in otherwise healthy kids. The viruses known as hepatitis A, B, C, D, and E didn't show up in tests. What's more, the children came from different places and there seemed to be no common exposures. What did show up was adenovirus 41. More than half of the U.S. cases have tested positive for adenovirus, of which there are dozens of varieties and a small number of specimens tested to see what kind of adenovirus was present Adenovirus 41 came up every time. The fact that adenovirus keeps showing up strengthens the case for it playing a role, but it's unclear how. Many adenoviruses are associated with common cold symptoms such as fever, sore throat, and pink eye. Some versions, including uh, adenovirus 41, can trigger other problems, including inflammation in the stomach and intestines. Adenoviruses previously have been linked to hepatitis in children, but mostly in kids with weakened immune systems. Recent genetic analysis turned up no evidence that a single new mutant version of this virus is to blame. Dr. Marcus Buchfeller, a pediatric infectious disease doctor at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, was involved in the identification of the first U.S. cases in the fall. The illnesses were weird and concerning, he said. Six months later, we still don't really know exactly what we're dealing with, okay? So again not so much the severity or prevalence of these sicknesses that is intriguing, more so the fact that they're baffling experts and they seem to indicate sicknesses in a sense increasing or spreading without any rational explanation why. And so that's what's kind of intriguing about that. Um, now, again, the proper response, not to fear, especially when you look at the data, um, you know, get rid of the headlines, but just look at the actual data, It's a minority of people. The complications aren't severe in most cases. Um, But on top of all that, we trust God with our health just like we trust with everything else, right? Right? Main reason people fear sickness is why? Because it can lead to death, right? But we don't fear death because it was defeated by Jesus at the cross. So we don't react to sickness like everyone else. Yes, we don't want to become sick and 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 have to deal with the consequences but at the end of the day we can trust the lord with that and the ultimate thing that makes sickness so scary that doesn't affect us because we have eternal life amen amen all right so that's the second thing pestilences Um, third thing i wanted to talk about is globalization in response to these pestilences all right again we've talked a lot about globalization as we're going through the book of daniel because we see um, multiple prophetic visions given that speak of this coming world empire that's led by the Antichrist that will come into fruition during the tribulation, um, but it's going to take a bunch of things coming into place in order for the world to move to where they're willing to come under one headship. You know, to come to go from nationalism, which we kind of been living in for a long time, with individual countries just kind of worrying about themselves to kind of coming to this global mentality and being willing to come under one leader, all right? Now, in response to COVID, and most certainly these other viruses are going around aren't helping in any way. They're only gonna like like, increase this. We see this push or we've seen this push for the world to come together in order to address these sicknesses uniformly, just like we saw for the famines, this move or this, exhortation to basically globalize, glo- globalize. We need to come together globally to address this. We're seeing that same thing with these sicknesses, all right? So this is a an article in Forbes magazine. Again, I don't necessarily agree with the opinions of this author, but this, tells, this shows you the rhetoric that's kind of out there in this move to want to globalize. This is from Forbes magazine. It's May 18th. The, uh, the article uh, um, headline is The Who to Discuss Global Pandemic Treaty at World Health Assembly, May 22nd through the 28th. So it says, in a commentary published in The Lancet on May 16th, a team of authors, most of whom are from the UK, wrote that the COVID-19 pandemic has highlighted profound weaknesses in the global governance of health Inadequate preparation, coordination, and accountability hampered the collective response of nations at each stage. They asserted that changes to the global health architecture are necessary to mitigate the health and socioeconomic damage of the ongoing pandemic and to prepare for the next major global threat to health. Although a pandemic treaty or alternative new instrument or process cannot solve all that is wrong with global health, It can deliver targeted improvements if supported by effective and clear global governance. Imagine how much suffering could have been avoided and how many lives could have been saved if only countries around the world had been more unified and coordinated with each other to combat the COVID-19 coronavirus. These aren't my words. This is his. What if countries had warned each other earlier uh, about the original uh, SARS COVID uh, virus and, and the emergence of new variants? What if countries had coordinated more in supporting and sharing research? What if they had more, uh, more effectively pooled together knowledge and resources to further accelerate the development and implementation of new technologies and approaches for violent virus surveillance, uh, surveillance prevention and treatment? What if governments had banded together to negotiate better terms with vaccine drug and test manufacturers? What if countries had worked together to combat misinformation and support science? I think that's the end of that article. There's another article. It's from Worthy News. So this is kind of from a, a different viewpoint. Um, it says, the WHO pushes global pandemic treaty. So it's talking about the same treaty as that article. It says, the World Health Organization is preparing a global pact that critics fear will give it absolute power over global biosecurity. Under the so-called pandemic treaty, nations could be forced to obey a worldwide law for outbreaks to avoid mistakes made during the COVID-19 pandemic, the WHO suggested. If passed, the WHO likely gets the authority to press governments to implement mandatory vaccinations and related passports and digital uh, identities. Um, The health body could also quickly impose measures such as travel restrictions and standardized medical care. Other proposals include the sharing of data and genome sequences of emerging viruses, and rules on equitable vaccine distribution. Additionally, the European Union, which backs the treaty, pushes for a ban on wildlife markets and incentives to report new viruses or variants. Member states have till August to decide on an initial version of the pandemic treaty, which is backed by the current WHO director. Uh, The U.S. was among the countries that initially opposed making the treaty legally binding, but President Joe Biden's administration has since shifted towards signing the deal, and there's a follow-up article here, talking about the U.S.'s uh, support of it. Um, this is also from Worthy News from May 17th. Um, it says an influential Christian advocacy group warns that the Biden administration will hand control of America's healthcare system and U.S. national sovereignty to the World Health Organization. The U.S.-based Liberty Council is among critics expressing concern ahead of this month's 75th session of the World Health Assembly, the WHO's uh, decision-making body. Uh, Delegates from 194 nations are voting on U.S. President Joe Biden's amendments to the international health regulations as part of broader post-COVID-19 pandemic measures. Worthy news established that the U.S. amendments delete a critical restriction in the regulations – that states who shall consult with and attempt to obtain verification from the state party in whose territory the event is allegedly occurring. Liberty Council said this enables whose director general to declare health emergencies at will. Such action can be used to justify ostracism and economic or financial actions against the targeted nation by who countries or who wish to harm and control the accused nation, Liberty Council added. Liberty Council founder and chairman argued that the proposed amendments would give the WHO global jurisdiction over the United States, including other, including the authority to declare national emergencies. Americans would have very little recourse against the WHO. America um, uh, must not give up its sovereignty to the WHO, uh, Staver, the Liberty Council founder and chairman said. Once signed, the amendments bypass the U.S. Congress because they are to an already ratified global treaty the May 22nd through 28th gathering at the United Nations headquarters in Geneva, Switzerland comes after President Biden and the European Union's chief executive Ursula von der Leyen discuss the changes in a new global health agenda. Uh, the prevention, preparedness, and response to pandemics such as COVID also includes integrated surveillance, surveillance according to the White House in EU statements the United States of America and the European Union are implementing the US EU agenda for beating the global pandemic vaccinating the world saving lives now and building back better health security of of September 22 2021 they said earlier the world health assembly met in a special session the second since its founding in 1948 to adopt a sole decision titled The world together, officials confirmed after last December's deliberation. So basically what you see, again, is another uh, set of things that are happening in the world that are uh, the world, the response to them, basically the pestilences, the sicknesses, the world responses, we need to come together so we can address these things better. So you can see that continued move to globalization. Next thing I want to talk about, thank you for turning the heat off, Michael throat's getting dry um wars and rumors of wars regarding uh specifically regarding israel so this is verse verse nine and ten he talks about these these wars and rumors of wars um and obviously that can pertain to a lot of things there's the ukraine russia conflict um you know all these rumors of wars with like china and in the middle east but something interesting regarding israel that just recently popped up Um, And just to give you some background, there's a lot of unfulfilled biblical prophecy that pertains to the nation of Israel specifically. And one such event is the battle that's detailed in Ezekiel 38 where there's going to be a coalition of countries that come against Israel and attack them. Which is thought to happen either just prior to or after the rapture of the church or maybe sometime during the tribulation. There's some differing thoughts on that. Can't really know for sure. But um, basically, it's in Ezekiel 38, it says that this attack is going to be led by the land of Magog, which is, in present day, the area of Russia. And then other countries joining Russia in this attack are going to be uh, Persia, which is present-day Iran, Kush, which is in present-day Sudan, Put, which is in present-day uh, Libya, and then Gomer and Beth uh, Togomar, Tugum- which is in present-day Turkey. So... It's interesting to watch the relations between Israel and those specific countries because when they start to get inflamed, it's just kind of moving closer to where maybe there's a scenario where there could be some sort of attack against Israel. And what I want to talk about tonight is it's really interesting what's going on with Russia and Israel, who up to recently seem to be on good terms, but there's tension that's growing as a result of this war in the Ukraine. Um, This was from... Last week, or May seventeenth, um, this is from the Times of Israel. It's titled "In First, Russia Russian military said to fire S three hundred missiles at Israeli jets over Syria." Um, says Russian forces opened fire on Israeli jets with advanced S three hundred anti aircraft missiles at the end of an alleged. Uh, IAF or Israel Air Force, Israeli Air Force attack on targets in northwestern Syria last week, Channel 13 News reported Monday, and what could signal a significant shift in Moscow's attitude to Israel. According to the unsourced report, the unprecedented incident occurred on Friday night when the Israeli Air Force bombed several targets near the city of uh, Misa Yaf in northwestern Syria. The report said the Sil- Syrian military fired off dozens of anti-aircraft missiles which have been largely ineffective at halting the hundreds of Israeli strikes on Syria in recent years. However, this time, the S-300 batteries also opened fire at the jets as the jets were departing the area, Channel 12 said. The report noted that Syria's S-300 batteries are operated by the Russian military and cannot be fired without their approval. The report said that the s 300 radar did not manage to lock on to the Israeli jets and thus did not present a serious threat to the Israeli Air Force fighter jets. If confirmed, however, this would mark the first use of the S-300s against the IAF, or Israeli Air Force, over Syria and would be a worrying development for Israel, which has carried out hundreds of airstrikes inside Syria in the course of the country's civil war and since targeting what it says or arms shipments bound for Lebanon's Iran-backed Hezbollah terror group and other Iranian-linked sites. Israel rarely acknowledges or discusses such operations, and there was no confirmation of the raid or the S-300 launch from the IDF. The Channel 13 report said it was not immediately clear if the S-300 missile fire was a one-time event or if it was a Russian signal to Israel that it was changing its policy. The report comes amid a deterioration in ties between Israel and Israel in Russia, over the invasion of Ukraine, Israel has tried to walk a fine line between Moscow and Kyiv, but has recently become more critical of Russia as evidence emerged of Russian atrocities and growing anti-Semitic rhetoric from Russian leaders. Russia, a close uh, ally of Syria's leader, has, for, uh, has forces based and operating in Syria – Beyond providing Syria with its air defenses, Moscow also maintains state-of-the-art S-400 air defense systems to protect its own assets in Syria, but has never turned them on Israeli planes. Without specifically mentioning the incident, Defense Minister Benny Gantz on Monday said Israel would not be deterred and vowed to prevent Iran from transferring advanced capabilities to other entities in Syria. In recent years, Israel and Russia established a so-called deconfliction hotline Uh, to keep the sides from getting tangled up and accidentally clashing over Syria. Um, While meeting in Sochi last year, Prime Minister Naftali Bennett and Russian President Vladimir Putin agreed that the two nations would continue to implement that mechanism. Bennett said at the time that Israel's relationship with Russia is strategic in nature and noted the importance of the intimate discourse with the Russian military. So again, the greater tension you see between these two countries the greater possibility that there might be some type of uh, war that breaks out. Even if accidentally somebody shoots somebody down, it could escalate into that really quickly. And with Russian forces right there next to Israel, it would be very easy for them to lead some sort of attack. So it's interesting to pay attention to that stuff. Also, or last but not least, the last thing I want to talk about. uh, Great signs from heaven, as verse 11 talks about. Now, a lot of commentators think this is referring to things like comets at least most of the stuff you read or asteroids you know definitely signs in the sky and revelation uh definitely talks about some things that sound like asteroids or meteors that are going to come down upon the earth as a part of god's judgment during the tribulation period but there has been some talk recently i don't know if you guys have seen it some you know different pastors or whatnot talking about how this may also be in reference to this ufo phenomenon Then all of a sudden, you know, for a lot of years, it was just, that's craziness. We don't talk about it. But now all of a sudden, it's socially acceptable, right? It's becoming publicly acknowledged by the government that these UFOs exist, that they've been investigated. So it's all of a sudden, you're not a kook if you believe this stuff. They're acknowledging this stuff's real. They're not saying they know what it is, but they're acknowledging that it's real. Here's an article from the BBC uh, from may 17th and it says ufos few answers at rare u.s congressional hearing so it says the first public con- congressional hearing into ufo sightings in the u.s is over 50 in over 50 years this was recently ended with few answers about the unexplained phenomenon two, two top military officials tasked with probing the sightings said that most can ultimately be identified but they said a number of events have defied all attempts at explanation. The sightings recorded by the military include 11 near misses with U.S. aircraft. Some unexplained aerial phenomena, UAPs, that's what they call them as a the military terms, UFOs, seem to have been moving without any discernible means of propulsion. Um, during the hearing at the House Intelligence Counterterrorism, Counterintelligence, and Counterproliferation Subcommittee Top Pentagon intelligence official uh, Ronald Moultrie said that through rigorous analysis, most but not all UAPs can be identified. Any object we encounter can likely be isolated, characterized, identified, and if necessary, mitigated, Um, he said. A small number of incidents, however, still have no explanation. In one such incident in 2004, fighter pilots operating from an aircraft carrier in the Pacific encountered an object, this seemed to have descended tens of thousands of feet before stopping and hovering. In another incident shown publicly for the first time on Tuesday, an object can be seen on camera flying past a U.S. Navy fighter jet. The object remains unexplained. There are a small handful of events in which there are flight characteristics or signature management that we can't explain with the data we have available, said Scott Bray, the Deputy Director of Naval Intelligence. Those are obviously the ones that are most, or of most interest to us. Mr. Bray also sought to dispel the notion that UAPs might be extraterrestrial aliens, noting that no organic or inorganic material or unexplainable wreckage has ever been recovered and no attempts have been made at communicating with the objects. We have detected no eliminations within the UAP task force that would suggest it's anything non-terrestrial in origin, he said. The last public hearings into the issue began in 1966, When Republican congressman and future president Gerald Ford convened a pair of hearings to discuss a UFO sighting uh, following one in Michigan that was observed by over 40 people, including a dozen policemen. In 1969, an Air Force investigation into UFOs called Project Blue Book closed after determining that no flying object had ever been confirmed or deemed a threat to U.S. national security. Blast forward to 2017 when U.S. media reported on the Pentagon's secretive efforts to probe Testimony from pilots and other U.S. military members who um, had reported seeing strange objects in the sky. Their reports included footage of UFOs and descriptions of how they seemed to fly in unexpected ways, including hovering in place during high winds and changing elevation rapidly. Pilots described seeing them on an almost daily basis, outside military bases, and one whistleblower described how UAPs had interfered with the U.S. nuclear weapons facility, even forcing some offline. In 2020, a COVID relief bill signed by Donald Trump included a provision requiring U.S. intelligence agencies to deliver an unclassified report on UAPs within 180 days. In June 2021, the U.S. Director of National Intelligence released a report saying it had no explanation for dozens of unidentified flying objects related to 144 incidents dating back to 2004. Only one could be easily explained as a deflating balloon, while the others were labeled. ...largely inconclusive. Most of the UAP report reported probably do represent physical objects, the report stated, adding that 80 of them were detected on multiple advanced military sensors and radar systems. The June 20, 2021 report failed to reach any conclusive answers in regards to what the objects are or how they function. It called, the, called for expanded investigation and better data collection given the stigma government workers may have against their describing unexplained encounters... Uh, Last December, Democrats succeeded in including a stronger disclosure requirement in the annual National Defense Authorization Act, Act signed by Joe Biden. The law requires the military to establish a permanent office on UAP research, now called the Airborne Object Identification and Management. Now, regarding UFOs being extraterrestrial – I would say about that, that there are some strong biblical arguments against there being life on other planets. And actually, I don't have time for it tonight, but if you would like to read a good, biblically centered article on those arguments by uh, this Calvary Chapel um, apologetic guy that goes around and speaks, um, uh, his name's Jason Lyle, I can send you that because I would just read that recently and it was really well written and biblically on the biblical reasons why um, it doesn't support life on other planets. Um, but also the data shows that the majority of these that are spotted are eventually explained with simple things like weather balloons, drones, aircraft, etc. Um, so it's a minority that can't be explained. But seeing as how most of them are explainable would lead me to believe that probably they can be explained, you know. And so for the small more minority that can't be explained, I think that just common sense is a dramatic Assumption to automatically jump to—they must be aliens from another world, all right? <laughs> like it's—it's it's like well, probably not. Um, now, one thing that's interesting though is I, I've heard some pastors talking about this recently is that some think it could actually be spiritual in nature because if these things aren't acting like in a worldly way, like anything that we know of, we don't know of what they could be. They're not acting like any aircraft could, like they're defying gravity and stuff like that, um, or the law of physics, like stuff we know then maybe it's spiritual in nature Uh, maybe a ploy by Satan to try to scare people ultimately to go along with his plans. Like, you know, basically the Bible talks about how in the end times um, or in the tribulation, like the antichrist is under his his, Satan's influence. And basically it also talks about false prophets and false, false Christs being able to do great signs and wonders to deceive people. So Satan does have that power in this sense to do signs and wonders and i can just i mean just just presumption don't quote me as like this is what's going to happen but i could see like satan using something like that to in a sense move to globalization i mean you ever seen independence day what had happened when the aliens attacked people we need to we need to get a world army together you know to join so like i could see like people freaking out saying we need to come up with like a world army you know like because of this threat or i mean let's say one day a bunch of christians just disappear off the face of the earth That's an explanation. Well, we were beamed up or something or the aliens did it. You know, I mean, I could see people coming up with some sort of excuse like that. So anyways, it's interesting, you know, like we don't know, really know what it is. Can't say for sure that's what it's talking about, what's saying signs in heaven, but maybe that's part of it. So um, those are the things I wanted to cover tonight. Again, these are things that Jesus talks about that, you know, would be happening all through history but they'd be increasing in severity and frequency the closer we got to this return. And you see a lot of these things, like I said, is supported by the data that these things are increasing at an even greater rate, especially over the last you know, couple years, which I think is interesting. I watch stuff, I look at that, and I'm just like, whoa, is, is, is this return really getting close? You know, I don't know when that is. No one knows the day or the hour, but it makes me have that sense of urgency. All right, Again, that's what it's supposed to produce in us. Is like, man, any day could be the day that jesus comes back to get us amen? amen amen now i always want to just end again on 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 jesus's command there in verse nine don't be terrified when you see these things okay because again the point of bible prophecy not to make you panic or fearful but on the contrary it's to encourage you to be hopeful because when you see these things happening again you already know that these things are supposed to be happening and you have these assurances from god that hey Everything is just going according to plan, and I'm going to be all right no matter what happens because God's got me in his hand. Amen? He's made these promises to me, so I don't have to worry. I should be getting to work because he's coming back quickly, all right? The rest of the world's in the panic. We're here to give them the hope that we have and the confidence that we have so they don't have to be fearful and don't have to panic. Amen? As Jesus says in Luke twenty-one twenty-eight. So when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up for your salvation is near. Amen. Just when you see these things happening, don't get caught up in those things. Don't get worried, fearful, you know, you know, worry, like like basically plan like how you're gonna survive in all this and go hold up and get a bunch of guns and food. No, no, no. It says, look up, keep your focus on the Lord, all right? Because he's gonna lead you through this. He's gonna be with you and all of it. And eventually he's gonna come back and get us. Amen? Amen. All right, let me pray. Lord God, thank you so much again for the hope we have in you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your, that your word gives us this firm foundation to uh, work out of. You know, in a sense, to watch these things, to not make presumptions or try to predict the future. You've really told us what the future holds, but just to help us see things through the right perspective and the right lens so we don't panic, we don't be fearful, we don't we aren't terrified like you tell us not to be. But in a sense, we're hopeful knowing that you're coming back soon. And uh, we pray that that would produce in us that expectancy, that urgency, that, that, that readiness and alertness to um, staying close to you and, 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 and looking to you to lead us into that work you have for us to do while we're still here. So I pray that for all your people. And uh, I pray, Lord, especially if there's anyone that has been fearful by these things that they see going on in the world, that your word would produce that peace that surpasses all understanding in them as they trust you at your word and live in it. In Jesus' name, amen. And we're gonna talk about that Sunday. If you guys are gonna be here, we're gonna talk about why we can have peace in the Lord, basically because he's with us and because of the promises he's given us, amen? So be here Sunday. God bless you guys.